Thank you, Jill. I mean, New Hope is just an amazing organization, and to support them, uh, I think every Christian should be a part of it. And uh, I encourage you, take one of the baby bottles, throw your change in it, it's amazing how uh, it will fill up. You know, babies are beautiful, aren't they? I don't know if you know, uh, happy Mother's Day, by the way, all you mothers. Uh, they're trying to change Mother's Day. Did you know that? To birthing day. In order not to be discriminatory by only looking at the mother. And so um, they want Mother's Day and Father's Day to be birthing day. But here's what I say. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> you know, I, I don't mean to wax personal, but sometimes when I think of Mother's Day, I, I'm... I think of my own mother, and um, she was 18 years old when she got married. My father was 30. They actually met at a church picnic, and um, they never had much uh, in financial means, but boy, they sure gave us a lot of um, real substance as far as the family is concerned. We never owned a car until, I don't know, I think I was about 12 years old, and I'm the youngest. Um, my father was a coal miner, and we lived right between Wilkesboro and Nanticook. That's where the coal mining area was, Loomis Park. And um, my father raised chickens because no coal miner could live just on the coal mining salary. My father went to sixth grade, by the way, and um, loved the Lord, could read the Bible. And uh, so my father raised chickens, and they used to bring the chicken feed in these bags with actual flour and material on it. And so after you'd used all the chicken feed, you'd, un, you know, you'd take all the thread out of the bag and open it up, and it'd be like a little ream of cloth. My mother used to make her, her dresses out of those. And, um, I mean, if we went into town, we walked. And, uh, you know, there's just most of our food my mother canned and, you know, that, that whole kind of thing. But you know what? I don't ever look back and think, oh, I wish I would have been raised in it. I'm thankful for all that experience. I mean, like with the car. The first car we had was a 49 Chevy Coupe. You know what those are? Just a front seat, no back seat. <clears throat> they had the back window thing. You know what I mean? Like a windowsill. And my father went and he took a hacksaw and he cut the whole metal off of that so there was a space between the front seat and the back seat. And then he filed all the rough edges down. And then he bought an old car seat and put it in the trunk so that we three kids could sit on a seat with our heads sticking up in that little opening of the coop. And the thing that really made it funny is whenever we pulled in anywhere, because you have to understand, my mother had bright red hair. My father had bright red hair. And myself and all my brothers had bright red hair. And so when we pulled up any place, it was like a clown car. You know, here you have this little car with this all cut out and all these redheads that come jumping out. But um, I'm thankful for all of you mothers and for the fact that you commit yourself to raising your children in the Lord. There's nothing, there's not a greater gift you can give your child than the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, so anyway, happy Mother's Day. And there's going to be a, a church dinner um, Next Sunday, we encourage you to sign up for that. And Andy and Liz Jesenowski are going to uh, give the testimony of how the Lord intervened, really, and saved Liz's life and possibly Andy's as well. 
Um, so I encourage you to come to that. And also, um, if there, we have an adult dinner night out this week, sign up. And if you're able to come, it's, it's a really wonderful time of just fellowshipping together with 10 at each table. But anyway, uh, it's a wonderful time of gathering together and being able to share. So we encourage you to come to that also. And um, also, uh, if there are any uh, graduates, if you are a parent or if you are a child, I mean, some of, us, some of you, you we know, but we don't want to miss anyone. We always have a graduate reception every year for high school, college, trade school, you know, whatever it is you're graduating from, we want to honor the graduates. So maybe some of you parents can let Vi know if there's anyone that we don't want to miss. Okay, I think that's it as far as the announcements. You saw me looking around. I couldn't find my glasses, so I had to go get my reading glasses rather than my... I have a pair of preaching glasses. They're bifocals, the bifocals so I can read, and then the other part is so I can look up and see you. So now I can read, but I can't see you. Anyway... Um, we are in chapter 28, and I'm picking up with verse 58. Uh, chapter 28, verse 58 of Deuteronomy. <clears throat> you know, once again, we have to understand that when we read Scripture, it's not only a wonderful history lesson that we're looking into, but more importantly, it is relevant prophecy for today. The Bible is, one-third of the Bible is prophecy. No other holy book has that. And so many people think prophecy is only what we read in Revelation. No, prophecy starts in Genesis. In fact, what Moses is writing in the portion we're covering, a lot of what he's talking about won't take place till thousands of years later. Because he's writing to the children of Israel even before they go into the land. And he has the blessings and he has the curses. And the thing we, you know, sometimes we forget is that Moses was telling them, these are the things you're supposed to do and you're going to fail at it. Like, for instance, when they went into the promised land, they were told to have no king. You know why? God was their king. But Moses said, when you go into the land, you're eventually going to raise up kings, and this is going to be the problem. And so... Prophecy is absolutely amazing because it not only tells us what's going to happen in the future to help us be aware, but it also shows how accurate and how true and how reliable the Bible, the Word of God is. It's an absolute amazing book. Now, um, like I said, the Old Testament is full of modern-day application of prophecy. Not just the prophecy of when they first entered into the land, but I'm talking about modern-day, right-today prophecy. In Psalm 119, verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, your words is settled in heaven. For, listen to that again. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. So if God says something, it's going to be. See, so many people have a, a tendency to just take the word of God and try to fudge it around this way. Maybe it means this, maybe it means that. The word of God means exactly what the word of God says. And if it's going to be, it's going to be. Do you know how many commentators had chapters of trying to work around Israel becoming a nation again? Because scripture promised that Israel would once again be uh, in their land, which of course in our day and age we know that they are. 
But for many generations, that seemed so impossible. So they started uh, with all these doctrines of making the church Israel and all kinds of things. Well, it's really spiritual Israel and all that. No, the Bible said that the children of Israel would one day again be in their land. And on May 14, 1948, Israel declared itself as an independent nation. It happened exactly as the Word of God says. So we have to realize the reliability of Scripture. And also in, in Hebrews 4.12 it says, For the Word of God is living and powerful. We can understand how the Word of God is powerful. But what do you mean living? You know, you're talking about having life, the breath of life, pneuma. What, what does it mean, living? Because it is. Because we have to understand Jesus is the Word of God. And we have to understand that the Word of God is not only something that we take and read for today, it is continuously applied throughout our lives and throughout history. It's absolutely amazing. Now the portion that we're looking at this morning speaks to the prophecy uh, that Israel would be removed from their land. Now we know Israel was removed from their land uh, when, when they did it voluntarily and went into Egyptian captivity. We know they were, they were removed for their, from their land forcibly. The northern kingdom, we'll be getting into that when we get into the kings, but um, the, the kingdom was divided because after Solomon was the last ruler of the United Kingdom, and after Solomon, the kingdom was divided. The northern kingdom were, were ten tribes, and the southern kingdom was Judah and Benjamin. And so oftentimes when we read in Scripture about Israel, it's really talking about Judah and Benjamin. But all ten tribes were scattered. The northern kingdom was taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And the southern kingdom was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Now, when the Babylonians released the Jews to come back, and it was you know, down the road after quite a while, when they were released to come back, also, the Jews from the southern kingdom, from the northern kingdom, were allowed to come back. So all 12 tribes were represented again. And we'll get into the history of that more when we get into that portion of Scripture. So we had those dispersions throughout history. But God prophesied there would be a time that the entire nation, both the northern and southern kingdom, all of them would be dispersed throughout the world. And of course, that is what we saw and they still are dispersed throughout the world. But just as prophecy said, they're being called back into Israel. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. And so um, Israel is probably one of the greatest signs of prophecy fulfilled that we'll ever see in our lifetime. Let's go to Deuteronomy 25, verses 58 through 63. If you do not carefully, notice the word carefully, hang on to that. If you do not carefully observe all the words of the law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, and in your Bible it should be all capitals, the Lord your God. And the reason it's in all capitals is what we call the Tetragrammaton. In other words, that is the holy name of God. And it literally means Yahweh. And what Yahweh means, if we translated it, is this. I am, I am. He is what? He's everything. He is the I am. He's not past. He's not future. He is the I am. And the, and the God of everything. 
It's called the Tetragrammaton, if you ever wanted to know. Verse 59. Then the Lord uh, will bring upon you and your descendants, descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt. Now remember, the Jews at that time, when they were in captivity, and God was bringing them uh, to a place where they might be released, the Exodus, all those diseases fell on the Egyptians, but not the Jews. You know, but now they'll fall on the Jews as well. Of which you were afraid, and they uh, shall cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in this book of the law will the Lord bring upon, will bring upon you until you are destroyed. So even plagues that aren't written in the Bible, he's going to bring upon them. Now it's interesting, we might read this and say, you mean all the Jews are going to be destroyed? No, read the next verse. You shall be left few in number. So in other words, as a nation, they would be destroyed. But there would be Jews left, few in number. <clears throat> Whereas you are as the stars of the heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God, and understand the consequences was be, uh, of their um, being dispersed was because they didn't obey the voice of the Lord. Verse 63. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and multiply you, so the Lord will, will, will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to nothing. And we'll talk about that. How can the, the Lord rejoice over them to bring them to nothing? We'll talk about that a little later. And you shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess. So in other words, he's telling them, you're not even in there yet. That's what that last verse means when it says you're going to, going to be plucked off the land that you're going in to possess. They haven't even gone in yet. But he prophesied that this would happen to them because of unbelief. Because of an unwillingness to look to God, to who he is. I am. And he is the one that we should obey. Now, they were, and we are, it tells us here, to observe the law found in God's word. We're to observe the law found in God's word. Now, we can't do it perfectly because we're supposed to observe it, you know. We can't do it perfectly, but we do it carefully. And what does that mean? Because if you read all the laws we find in Scripture, no man can keep the law perfectly. Otherwise, Jesus need not have come if we could obtain to that. But we're supposed to uh, observe the law, as it tells us in this portion, carefully. And what that means is you can't change the law to fit your circumstances or your philosophy of life. What the Word of God says is the Word of God. You know, some people say, well, it's different now. Do you know that less than, uh, I mean, more than 50% of couples living together in the United States today are not married? And the Word of God commands us to be married. And so we have to realize that's one area where people have just kind of said, well, that's, that's no big deal. How many things in our, in our life and in our world, and in, in, you know, in, in this uh, environment that we live in, have we taken the Word of God and made it of non-avoid, null and void? You know what I mean? Um, all the things that the Word of God said are still true. Homosexuality, okay? 
um, fornication, adultery. They're, all, they're still relevant. They haven't changed. And so we seem, to have an we seem to have an ability to take these things lightly and to change them around. They haven't changed. We might not be able to keep them perfectly, but we have to keep them carefully. We don't change them in order to suit our own lifestyle. And that's the reason God has such grace and mercy on each of us. Because we observe these laws carefully, but not perfectly. Therefore, we fall on occasion. We fall to sin. But the reality is that God's word is there to forgive us and to purify us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Scripture says. And so when you've been purified, you just move on with the Lord. I'm thankful for God's grace and mercy every single day. I have never sat on my bed at the end of the day to go to bed and say, well, I think I probably lived a perfect day today. I don't think I sinned in thought, mind, or deed in any way. Oh, hallelujah, I'm just perfect. I've never said that. Usually I sit on the edge of my bed at night and I go, oh, God, forgive me, a sinner. But we're we still are supposed to carefully observe his law. And we should be growing. It says, grow in your faith and understanding of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We should be growing, though. There are things that I don't do now that I used to do because I'm growing. And probably one of the things that uh, most of you are aware of, and it's a question sometime I want to ask the Lord when I get, I think I want to ask the Lord when I get to heaven, and uh, probably when I get there I won't need to because he'll, I'll already know because then, you know, have glorified bodies. But have you ever wondered why there are certain scenarios of your life, complete victory, right off, have victory. And then there are other areas of your life that you struggle with every day, every week, every month, but yet you struggle against it. The problem is, is when you stop struggling. We have not yet struggled to the shedding of blood. So we need to always be willing to struggle with those areas of weakness and temptation that pull us down. We all have them. You know, in our prayer time this morning, I was saying to everyone, every single person we know, every single person in this room has problems. Every one of us. There's none of us that walk into this fellowship and say, well, I'm problem free. Man, I, I couldn't ask for anything to be changed. We all have problems. But understand that God is able to help us resolve those problems. And one of the things I have found that when I, you know, here's the way it is. Either you're in a problem, coming out of a problem, or going into another problem. And that's just the way life is. Have you ever had those times, those days, that everything just seems to go great, everything seems to go perfect, and you're thinking to yourself, probably not tomorrow, and you're right. So it's a matter of just having faith and trusting the Lord. And um, because we have to understand, He is, I am. And that was... The first time that was spoken was to Moses. The first time the name of God is given. Remember when Moses went to the burning bush and, and God spoke to him from the burning bush and, and he said, well, who should I tell the people are sending me? And he said, I am. And in your Bible it should say, what he actually said was Yahweh, which means I am. He is everything. 
Everything you see was created by him. Through him all things were created. Nothing was created that was not created by him. And that's one of the reasons as believers we have to make sure that we have a strong understanding of creation. You know, I was a science major. I have a master's degree in science. And I can tell you right now that evolution is the biggest joke in the world. There is no way you can scientifically prove it. You know, you tell an evolutionist, well, I believe God created everything. And the evolutionist says, well, I don't. I believe everything came from nothing. Huh? And that's just accepted as if that's some kind of an intelligent answer. But it's not. I can't remember who it was. I don't know if it was Sagan the Pagan or the other guy who called it the Mount of Improbability. Who was it by? Richard Dawkins. He called it the Mount of Improbability. So in other words, when they get to evolution, there's a place that they get to that they have no answers. And so in their drawings, they have this great big mountain. It's called the Mountain of Improbability. In other words, it's quite improbable that this should have happened, but it did. But yet they think the creation account, as we read in Scripture, is silly. It's absolutely unbelievable. God created everything. He is, I am. And we have to realize that this portion talks to us about having a fear of the Lord. Well, what fear is being talked about there? A reverent fear. It's not like fear of some mean person who's going to shoot you. It's fear of the Lord in the sense of having a reverent fear. And all through Scripture, we read about the fear of the Lord and the positive aspects of it. For instance, in Job 28, 28, if you take notes, write these down. I'm not going to have you turn to them. In Job 28, 28, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> it's not only wisdom, it's the beginning of wisdom. And Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And once again, you have it. Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. We have a reverent fear of God. He's God. And uh, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. In other words, we, we read his word as the word of God for our instruction. Proverbs 16.6, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. So fear of the Lord, the reverence of God is what pushes us from doing evil. And Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord is life. And Proverbs 24, 4, by humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor in life. Acts 9, 31, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And in John First John chapter 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. So in other words, this reverent fear we have for the Lord is honoring exactly who he is and the power he has. But like it tells us in the very end, we don't have to have a fearful fear of the Lord because perfect love casts out this kind of fear. So the, fear, the only fear I have of the Lord right now is reverence. I understand who he is. But I don't fear, oh, I'm going to go to hell. I'm going to be judgment. I'm going to be punished. 
You know, as a believer, you don't go around thinking God's going to just come down and hammer on you because that's what this is telling us. Perfect love casts out all that fear. Now, the perfect love is not ours, it's his. He perfectly loved us completely, and we receive that perfect love, and it's in our heart, our cardiac, our inner man, and we have the kind of peace that only God can give. Now, disobedience will always bring back the plagues of Egypt. Not only did it bring back the plagues of Egypt on the Israelites when they were in captivity, we read last week some of the horrible things that they went through when they were being sieged before they were taken into captivity. But we have to understand, um, when we have this kind of, of uh, disobedience, if we allow disobedience to come into our life, then we fail to see the mercy and grace of the Lord. Because the mercy and grace of the Lord comes through obedience. If, conditional conjunction, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. So there is a condition. Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me. Not, well, I'm okay. I can do it okay now, Lord. I'm, I'm pretty good. No, no, we are sinners. Now, disobedience not only led to the plagues that befell the Jews, but also to the great plagues coming upon the unbelieving world. So we have to realize that when we read Scripture, it talks about what's going to happen in the near future, but also it's referring to what's going to happen in the very faraway future, in the distant future. And the plagues that were coming upon the Jews was just a foreshadow of the plagues that are going to come upon the earth during the tribulation period, during the wrath of God. Now, disobedience not only led to the plagues that befell um, you know, the, the Jews, but it goes on to tell us, we're going to read later, even more plagues are going to come upon them. Not only what they saw in Egypt, but even more, which of course, once again, is reminding us of the great tribulation. You know, when you consider how this world has responded, because see, perfect love casts out all fear. When you can bring fear into a society, you can mold that society or cause that society to do whatever you want. That's the reason we have to have the perfect love of God. The fear is cast out, because if you don't have that, you can be manipulated. And um, think about this. Consider how this world has responded to COVID-19. Imagine how they will respond then to the wrath of God. We're going to be gone out of the world, but then the wrath of God is going to come upon this world. You think COVID-19 was something. The wrath of God is coming, and people will do whatever they're told. And uh, the reason they'll do whatever they're told is because you have people who are promising to give them some relief from whatever the difficulty is. And it won't be Dr. Fauci. But people are always being promised all this relief and all these kinds of things. And during the tribulation period, when we're taken out of the world and the wrath of God is poured out, you're going to have you know, a, a system out there that's saying, this will help, this will help, this will do it. And people will just comply to it. And then eventually you're going to have one man rising out of all of that, who we call the Antichrist. And he's going to be giving all these promises to the people 
all the while that God's wrath is being poured out, and he can't deliver on any of his promises. But yet people in fear will still cling to him. You know, if we consider how the prophecy of the dispersion has been fulfilled, because it has, because when Titus Flavius Vespasian in 70 AD went in and sacked Israel, and he burnt down the temple, and he tore down all the walls you know, that surrounded the temple. In fact, if you go to Israel, I have pictures of I standing on one of these huge stones. But he completely sacked Israel, destroyed the temple in complete anger, and he pushed the Jews into exile, sold them into slavery to Egypt, just as was prophesied here in this portion. In fact, there's nowhere in the world you can go that you can't find Jews. When it said they'd be scattered throughout the world, they will be. You have Asian Jews, you have African Jews, you have Eastern European Jews, you have Northern European Jews, you have Western European Jews, you have Jews in Australia, in North, and anywhere you go, you can find Jews. That's where the term wandering Jew came from. Because they wandered throughout the world trying to find some escape and some peace, which of course they never did. And... Um, there are numbers, of course, during the time of uh, the sacking of Jerusalem by Titus Vespasian, uh, their numbers fell drastically. And now their numbers ha have risen in present-day Israel. And if you consider, did you, know, did you know that there are almost as many Jews in New York City as there are in Israel? So when you look at the Jews throughout the world, their numbers are greater than they've ever been. From being diminished to the small group when, you know, Titus Flavius Vespasian scattered them throughout the world, sold them into slavery, killed, slaughtered most of them, and now their numbers are great. And that's the reason in that one verse that seems kind of um, odd, where it says, the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to nothing. Why would he do that? Because that was the very catalyst that would bring them back to their faith and back to their nation as they are right now. And Israel is very densely populated. Every day they have hundreds and thousands of Jews, hundreds and thousands, not hundreds of thousands, hundreds and thousands, every day are coming in on LL Airlines, landing in Tel Aviv for repatriation uh, into Israel. More and more Jews. Every day, Jews are coming back in from all over the world because God is calling them there. And there's going to be a Holocaust for Jews, especially greater than there's ever been. And um, in, in Romans, it says, it says um, that blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. So after all of the um, destruction and anti-Semitism that the Antichrist is going to build up against the Jews because they won't worship him, one-third of all the Jews that remain during the, during the tribulation, one-third of all of them will come to know Jesus Christ. The others will be put to death. So the nation of Israel that's left, all Jews, 
will love Jesus Christ. That one-third, they'll all love Jesus. They'll be the remaining Jews. They will be the nation Israel. And as it says in this prophecy, and um, all Israel will be saved and know Jesus Christ. You know, it's difficult, but we must keep our eyes on the future promises of God, not the fears of this present world. You know, there have been some people, not a lot, not trying to point fingers at anyone, but you, no, not trying to point fingers at anyone, but there have been a lot of people over the past number of years that have come to me and are really quite upset that I don't uh, expound on some of these conspiracy theories. But here's my point. What difference does it make? I've got the word of God. You can give me all the conspiracy theories you want, and it means nothing. They're just theories. And one of the things that I know is that most of these cons conspiracy theories never come to being. I mean, how many of us got caught up in all the political involvement in the last election? And, oh, this is going to happen. Wait till the Durham report comes out. You know, wait till, uh, what's the attorney general? Bar. Wait till Barr comes out with his, wait till this, oh, wait, oh this is going to happen. This guy, nothing ever happened. We have to take our eyes off of conspiracy theories and politics and put our eyes squarely in the Lord. Because here's the point. Everything that God said would happen in the future is in his word. And there's nothing we can do to change it. You know what I mean? Conspiracy theories fill people with fear. And when people are filled with fear, they do things they normally wouldn't. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'm going to make sure I have enough ammo in my house, and I'm going to store up enough food in this net. Anybody tries to come in my food, I'll kill them. Great Christian. Wow, what a great believer you are. I'd rather think I'm going to make sure I store up extra food to give to those who come and need it and tell them about Jesus Christ that they might be saved. That's a better idea because conspiracy theories, my friends, um, should not be something that we dig into when we have prophecy. And prophecy is always fulfilled 100%. But we can't allow fear to overtake the church. And that's what conspiracy theories are. Think about this. 75 years ago, Herman Goring, he was at the Nuremberg Trials. He was an awful Nazi. Killed many, many Jews. Um, at the Nuremberg tri Trials, um, he was asked how they got all the people to uh, comply to all the things they were doing. In other words, the Germans. How did the Germans comply to throwing all these people in the concentration camps and killing them and, and doing whatever you know, Hitler told them to do? How did they comply? And, and he was, um, you know, his, well, this is a quote from him. He said, it was very easy, and it had nothing to do with Nazism. It has to do with human nature, fear. So if you can put fear in the hearts of people, you can get them to do anything. You know why I wear a mask when I go out and go into stores and stuff like that? It's not fear. But I want to be a witness for the Lord. I don't want to be someone who's causing all kinds of problems. I don't want to be some kind of a radical. But I don't want to get into, the, into that whole thing. But the thing is, there are things that we do, but I'm not doing it out of fear at all. 
I mean, I have 10 grandkids, and I'm around them all the time without a mask. <laughs> and, and then let's move on to uh, verse 64 of chapter 28. Then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will, will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you, and you shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, Oh, that it were evening. And in the evening you shall say, Oh, that it were morning, because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes see. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships by way of which I said to you, You shall never see it again, and there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. And once again, it was Titus Flavius Fasbason that sent them into slavery back to Egypt. So this prophecy that we're reading about before they even entered into the land would take place thousands of years later when uh, Jerusalem was sacked by Titus. It's absolutely amazing. Do you understand how amazing that makes this word? I mean, that happened exactly as it was told, foretold in the Bible. And that's why prophecy is so important to each one of us. Because understand, there were no people who have suffered more persecution and slaughter than the Jews. Just during the Nazi Holocaust, there were six million people, six million Jews that were put to death. You know, um, when we were in Israel, and one of the things they always encourage you to do when you go to Israel is to go to Vod, uh, Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust Museum. And you go through there, and it's, it's not only sad because you see some of the things that the Jews went through, but you see newspaper articles translated into English that were in Germany and some of these other parts of the, of the world that um, you know, went along with the Nazi party. And the things that they were saying about the Jews, they carried disease. Rat populations followed them. They, most of them were mentally ill. I mean, they came out with all, all these things. Why? to cause the German people to fear the Jews. See, now you've got fear. Now you can do whatever you want. Let's throw them in concentration camps. Let's put them in gas chambers. Let's put them in ovens. And people just went along with it. You know, a great movie, I would encourage you to see if you haven't. There's one naughty scene in it. Close your eyes. Watch it on VidAngel, and you don't even have to worry about it. But it's called... Uh, Schindler's, Schindler's List. It's a true story about Schindler who went in and he was actually taking, taking advantage of the whole Nazi government. But then when he realized what was going on, he just did everything he could to save the Jews. In fact, they have, when you go into uh, Yad Vashem, the uh, Holocaust Museum, they have a line of trees and it's called the Trees of the Righteous, righteous Gentiles. And he's there. Court ten bombs there. And so these are righteous Gentiles that through all of the persecution the Jews faced stood in their favor and watched over them and helped them. 
Now, in all the nations the Jews have been scattered to, they have kept their identity as an identifiable people and religion. You can go to Africa, you can go to Asian countries, you can go into Eastern Europe, and there are synagogues, and they read from the scroll of Moses. All over the world, they're reading the same readings every, every week, every Sabbath. There are Jews that have just maintained their faith in all the persecution that they had. I mean, think about it. Because God said they had to remain an identifiable people. And the Jews in Israel right now speak the ancient Hebrew. The ancient Hebrew. If Moses or Abraham went back or went to Israel right now, they could have, carry on a conversation. They speak the ancient Hebrew. Who's that, how's that ever happened before? Where language, it was considered what was called a dead language years ago, remember? And now it's the language of the nation. Consider how absolutely amazing that is. And it's because these Jews would never give up their heritage. And that's why they had such strong regulations that if you're a Jew, you marry a Jew. And they kept the faith, even in the face of all kinds of persecution. Although there were many Jews that did turn from the faith and even against their own people. And um, I don't mean to be sound political, but just to make a point, uh, on the Daily Wire they had an article, and it was the nine things you didn't know about George Soros. Now understand George Soros is the wealthiest man in the world, and he uses his wealth for diabolical reasons constantly. Number one, he's a convicted felon. Two, uh, Soros comes from, think about this, an anti-Semitic Jewish family. Soros is Jewish, and his whole family was anti-Semitic. Absolutely amazing. In a 60-minute interview, here's what George Soros, Soros said. My mother was quite anti-Semitic and ashamed of being Jewish. Soros said in his interview in 60, CBS 60 Minutes. Uh, and given the culture in which one lived, being Jewish was a clear-cut stigma, disadvantage, a handicap, and therefore there was always the desire to transcend it, to escape it. And Soros later on in the interview said, in the, he said this, that he did not feel any remorse about confiscating property from Jews as a teenager during the Holocaust. The point I'm making is it shows you how faithful most Jews were. They went through the persecution. They went through the Holocaust. They went into the concentration camps because they wouldn't deny their identity as Jews. But it's amazing that you have a Jew like George Soros who not only denied his religion, his faith, and his heritage, but really opposes it. And he's probably the most influential financial manipulator in the world today. He's, he finances things that are horrible. He's actually brought nations down, small nations down, with his financial wealth. And so it gives us great you know, admiration for those Jews that refused to turn their back on the Lord. And um, now, these Jews were promised never to go back into, into Egyptian slavery. And, uh, but it points out 
points out there's always consequences to disobedience. They disobeyed, they did go back into slavery. But see, God always keeps his promises. And he said there'd never be a time that the Jews weren't present in this world. Never be a time. And so even though they were scattered throughout the world, the Lord brought them back. And um, when you think about Israel, I mean, do you ever think about what a miracle it is? Never, ever in history has that ever happened. I mean, not too many people, you know, know of, uh, you know, some of the strange countries we read about in the Bible. Do you know any that are still from that area that have their own nation and this and that? You know, oh yeah, I saw that there's a nation of the Hittites. No, you don't know if you read about the Hittites or the Perizzites or the, any of those other ites. They're gone. But Israel's back in their land as a nation. And um, the interesting thing is, to us anyway, is it shows the timing. When you look at the prophetic time clock, it started right before midnight when, Jews, when Israel became a nation, when the Jews were brought into the land. We are in the last days. I can't tell you tomorrow. I can't tell you next week. But I can tell you this. Scripture says we might not know the day and the hour, but we're supposed to know the season. You're children of light, not of darkness. This day should not overcome you as a, as a thief in the night. We are supposed to be aware of the times in which we're living. We're living in that time. So what should our response be? Buy guns, hide in caves, take food with us. Our response should be to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with every breath that we have. Well, if I go out there and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you'll shoot me. So what? You're going to be with the Lord in heaven. What difference does it make? You know, every one of us, barring the rapture, is going to die. And if you die as a martyr for Jesus Christ, you're going to be one of the souls under the altar. Special place with God. So we have nothing to lose. We need to be out there sharing our faith every opportunity we have instead of shrinking back from it. Because the promises of God are always, what scriptures say, yes and amen. They're always going to happen and they're always true. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and for the love that you have so bestowed upon this world that anyone, anyone, no matter what sins they've committed, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, definitely saved. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would make us ambassadors of that good news, that we might share our faith with all that we come in contact with, that many might come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord, God, and Savior. And I pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my friends. And happy Mother's Day, Mom. And I hope all your husbands are going to go home and cook your meal. That's it. Frank and I, well, actually, um, my grandson's going to cook, and Frank's going to be a sous chef. I'm just going to watch, but I will watch.